Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Everybody, I'm talking to John Flansburg. You all know that, though, because uh, you tuned into it. That's the thing. I like the intros to a podcast. To me, always seem silly because you—it's not like you happen upon this. You know what I mean? I—I I guess so. I don't it's not know. Like you dropped I, your laptop and this came on. You know. Although I think you know, I mean, just as an active podcast consumer myself, I yes. find I find that uh, there is a lot of just sort of exploratory stuff. Like um, I've. I, uh, you know, and and I actually will listen to podcasts that I have no idea what's happening. And some of my favorite podcasts are people just talking to each other who have no, like, don't even have a like a toehold on fame, and they're just kind uh-huh. of, you know, like they're friends and they're they're shooting the shit in this way yeah. that friends shoot the shit. And I find that to be extremely comforting. Um, especially right now, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, having a lot of conversations myself. Yeah. So it's just like it's just like having you know that that weird familiar thing is is uh, really really interesting. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big podcast consumer, but I do find that the sort of the ones that grab you are few and far between. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's a yeah. It's not radio. People try they they try to be something that they're not a lot of the times in podcasting, which I think yes, is a mistake. Yes. They're yes. trying to be, you know, they're trying to be some kind of uh, or similar to some kind of witty person that they admire, who's you know has a job as a witty person, and then right. do that. And it just it's just better if you're yourself, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, you know, there are definitely like some, you know, kind of climby ones that try to be more like radio shows. I, you know, personally, I like the weird, lumpy ones, but I, I understand that a lot of people probably just think it's it's uh, dead air. But Andy, yeah. I've got, I, I know I know that you're, you're asking the questions and the three questions aren't, I'm not, I don't have to ask you three questions, but before right. I get too deep into your questions, um, I've listened to your show. Yeah, and I've and I've noticed uh, two things. One thing is you do not say like or you know, and you're younger than me, and I still say like and you know pretty much every sixth and seventh and eighth <laughs> word. I How, try have, not to. I try not to. Now, have you? Are you self aware enough as yes. you're on the mic that you should not say the words like and you know? Yes. Yes, and it is something, and it's and it's also it was you know it's something that started with being on television and being on the Conan show, and when I mean not that I ever had long soliloquies on the Conan show, but did you get notes just not? No, say it? no, it's all it's all self directed. It's all oh, okay. it's all just when I listen to myself, and when I 
And I actually don't listen to a lot of these because I don't, I don't enjoy my own work enough oh, but, because. But this one is for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, one, one, this one, this is one is going on a loop we're, around we're the gonna house. Get, we're going to yeah. get, we're going to get real. And the, my, my second question for you um, uh and and I'm I'm kind of impressed with this because I feel like I feel like you're really topping Mark Marin the uh with <laughs> with the format of this show, which is hard to do because his show kind of broke new ground in the no research department. Yes. But I, I realized as I was looking at, at the actual three questions that this show require you could do this show with anyone at any time. And you'd just be like, you do not need to do a lick of research for this. No, it's it, it's helpful, and there always is. Honestly, there's like an obligatory Wikipedia kind of page that comes mm-hmm. to me from someone. Uh, Wikipedia involved. Brown. Yeah, yes, from Wikipedia Brown. <laughs> and so it's all very basic. And there's also been times where the research uh, team, which I, I don't, you know, that's, I think, Matt or Galit, the booking producer, it falls through the cracks and I don't get something. And then I just go to Wikipedia. It's basically, uh, right, you know, right. it's just sort of like the, but yeah, that was, that was one of the things I wanted to do about this is uh, with this podcast is a, I don't like homework. That's why I'm an right. improviser because, <laughs> right. you know, a, a standup has to do homework. Like they have to like think about what they say and rehearse it and then go say it on stage. Whereas I like to be as surprised as the audience as to what's coming out of my mouth. Right. Um, and I, and, and the initial kind of thing was I, you know, I've been in therapy for years and I like the language of therapy. I think it's very useful and very interesting. And I like people who are conversant in it. And I wanted to kind of replicate a, a, a therapeutic conversation in this podcast. And I felt like those three things are sort of like, looking at your past, looking at how it's affecting your present and your future, and then drawing conclusions from it. That's the therapeutic process in and of itself. So that's what I wanted these questions to cover. But I do, you know, there is a little bit of research, but you're absolutely right. I could, I could talk to somebody cold and they would, all I risk is they're being slightly offended that I don't know anything about them. Right. Today's guest is Sirhan Sirhan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, guys, uh, talking to a singer named Taylor Swift. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't know who he is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, so, believe yeah. he's the, I believe he's the drummer in the Foo Fighters, but I'm not sure. <laughs> See, I love I love podcasts that have lots of homework. Like, I love research podcasts. I love, like, deep dive, like, the, right, you know, right. sort of, you know, somebody writing a thesis kind of podcast. But I like just the, don't have the patience yeah, do like you follow, uh, do you track uh, crime podcasts? Not not so much. Crime actually I have a a lower tolerance for as I get older. It's not as fun to me. It's not as I understand like that there's a catharsis that happens with a lot of people with crime in the way that a horror movie makes you feel right. Sort of in charge of your fear of, you know, a monster or being murdered. And I think that that happens. But to me they just kind of um it just it gets bleak. It gets bleak right. with watching a lot of a, too much true crime kind of stuff. I get right. bummed out by just as if the world doesn't, you know, the world doesn't need any help bumming me out these days. So do you, do you listen to this podcast, Decoder Ring? I could definitely give that a hearty two thumbs. No, up. no, no. Oh, it's a really good one. It's like a cultural 
it's like sort of um it's it's not it's not like myth busting exactly but it's sort of about like uh uh it's just about culture but it's just it's just like deep dives into very specific topics they actually had a really good episode a couple of weeks ago about um the concept of selling out yeah and and it is and how uh selling out is actually it is uh an immodern idea now like it's it's obsolete like in an era of social media and sponsored content like you know if you are 20 if you're a 25 year old influencer like th- there's no there's no notion of selling out like yeah. just doing your celebrity job is it is there's there's no uh, fear of appearing inauthentic yeah that's the that is the culmination of your work is yes selling your work yeah 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 no i can i can see that i mean i you know the whole notion of selling out has always been silly you know i mean it's well it's complicated though i mean i feel like as you know like you know, as being the age that I am, like I was fully hypnotized by the Beatles, which as like a role model for somebody in a band, um, and especially in a band like They Might Be Giants, is like uh, extremely uh, compelling. And it took a really long time to realize, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, first of all, uh, you know, the Beatles were this exceptional thing. But also just the culture moves on like, you know, it's it's like you, you do have to kind of sometimes you got to just hustle to stay alive. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, that was um, I mean, I guess I'm just still jealous of the Beatles is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, what do you well, I mean, why do you bring up the Beatles on the subject of selling out? Oh, I mean, for rock bands, they sort of set the they they kind of did the full, you know, basically the Beatles were introduced to the culture as a band not that different than the Backstreet Boys, you know. Right. I mean, they were they were extremely commodified, and they and probably a lot of smart people just saw them and thought, well, this is a band with a huge sell by date on it, and they kind of went the extra mile just in terms of quality to prove that they were going to stick around, and. um but they also did all these things like they didn't have their their songs used in advertisements they didn't they did they kind of went very hard on the like anti commercial i mean they really mm. they really set the the table for how rock music was going to uh sell itself and not sell itself i see and and they really went at it as like an art project and I, and yeah, that yeah. and that's still influential for me i mean i you know you know we do a lot of things and they might be giants it's it's funny because you know, there's a level of calculation in every, you know, project that you're involved in. And we certainly like worry about, we worry a lot about a lot of things that, that ultimately don't matter that much. But um, I feel like we, you know, we, you know, we do worry about appearing inauthentic even yeah. and maybe, and maybe that's the most like, maybe that's the most, you know, uh, poser thing to worry about. But um, I know, I remember years ago I did an interview was like a college student at in like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and she knew a lot about the band, and it was a really interesting conversation. And at the very end, like the tour manager came in to say, like, you know, guys, your time's up. You gotta, you know, you gotta go. And uh, John, like, as soon as you have the set list for tonight's show, give it to me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, 
And she just looked at me and was like, you, your show, you, you do a show with a set list. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty calm. And, and it was really, it was very clear to me that her notion of what we were doing on stage changed completely. Like she was right. so dis- she was profoundly disappointed that we were using a set list. It was like somehow that that was extremely unspontaneous and unmusical and like essentially inauthentic. Right. And I don't, I don't know if she's like only into jam bands. I think that's kind of, <laughs> that's like, that's like a jam band aesthetic yeah. that I think a lot of, that some people really probably, uh, you know, cherish, but um, I mean, it's not the kind of show we do. That's for sure. It's I mean, not we, the kind. It's not really the kind of show you can expect anybody to do. You know, I. It's like you. You also write the songs down too. You know what I mean? Like, like everything that you do has been somewhat planned and well, authored. I mean, yeah, so yeah, why no. wouldn't you know? It's <laughs> like mean, when you make you know when you make a mixtape for somebody, <laughs> you think about what song goes before this song and what song will go after that song. You know what I mean? I, like, yeah. I, I mean, I have no, I have no explanation for it. You know, I, I would recommend to any band you use a set list. <laughs> yes, get, yes. Get it. Get know into what your set know list. What you're going to do. You know, maybe even memorize the set list. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was a weird moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think too. One thing about the Beatles is that the Beatles had the luxury of being uh, bigger than Jesus. You know, to 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 borrow a phrase like. They were so gigantically huge and such a truly, in some ways, like an oppressive art entity, you know, like that to the where they, you know, destroyed the charts for all different kinds of of, of groups and stuff. And that they were just, uh, you know, rewriting what popular music was, you know, Sgt. Pepper comes out and it's like, I mean, which is kind of a. Beach Boys copy in the first place, but they but they bring it to everybody, and everybody's like, "Oh, we got to do this now," you know, right, right. And then the and just you know the aesthetics of their movies and their and their you know just what they chose to war. It was so consuming that I don't think that they needed to sell. You know, they already were like, how much more exposure do they need? What help did they need? And I don't think that that kind of Outside of somebody like Beyonce, I don't think that that kind of thing happens anymore. You know, I don't think, I don't think right. there's Elvis's or Beatles or, I don't know, Michael Jackson's, you know, I guess Taylor Swift is kind of huge. I mean, they're still huge artists, but it's a different, it's a different, you know, music doesn't mean as much as it used to, I don't think, in popular culture. No, uh, I, I, absolutely not. You know, I mean, I think, I think, you know, that just... You just see like gaming. You just yeah. think about like how how important gaming is in in kids' lives, or even just you know. I mean, there's subcultures that just totally take over. Yeah. Um, but eh, you know, I think the Beatles did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I, you know the notion of just like selling out. I just think, I I mean, you know the difference between, and I mean, I've said no to things that I think would be tacky. And you know the difference between tacky and not tacky, but I think that to like get hung up about people people sharing their work in a way that they find appropriate to them, I don't have any problem with it. Like I don't it doesn't break my heart when I hear 
you know, lust for life on the 55th commercial. You know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. Well, it, I mean, it's lust like, for, okay, right, right, right. You know, right. but I, I mean, money, I think, but, you know, but I think that's actually a very specific and interesting example because lust for life for Iggy Pop, like when that happened, I don't, and I don't even know what, was it a Gap ad? It was, there was some TV ad that had Lust for Life in it. And it was yeah. right around the same it time. It works for as everything. That. So it's, it, yeah, a, you know, yeah. It's a killer track. Yeah. You know, Soupy Sales Kids, those guys make a great rhythm section. It's, it's, it's <laughs> notable. It's fantastic. Um, oh, just a v- very strange sidebar. Where that, where that song was recorded, it's at this place called Hansa Studios in Berlin that uh-huh. is, that I have photographs of uh, because there's a, uh, there's a reverb setting on on uh, digital audio that you can use that has a picture of it. It is the most beautiful studio in the world. It's like a cathedral. Oh, it's got really? All all wooden walls. Like you would think, like where was that recorded? Oh, they they actually uh, made an ashtray that was uh, forty <laughs> feet wide, and they recorded it inside the ashtray for the. I mean, it's such a it's such a a gritty kind of recording, yep. you know, it's like so filthy. And when you see where they recorded it, it's like they might as well have all been wearing tuxedos. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but uh but yeah, uh, the uh I I guess I guess, you know, it's like every everything has changed. I mean, I'm curious, like what was was there anything that you didn't do that you had an opportunity to do that you now in the fullness of time have come to regret because I can think of one thing that I didn't do that I really think was, I mean, I think we were chumps to walk away from. Oh, do you, you want know. to share what it is or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, a movie. Called, it was a movie called Citizens Band. Uh, that uh, it was. Uh, um, what was the young actor who kind of he kind of uh, did it like a Jack Nicholson kind of impression? Oh, Christian uh, Slater. Christian Slater. Yeah. It was like his very first movie. Was it, is that what it was? It was, it was, a, it was a Christian Slater vehicle very early on in his career. And uh, we had just signed a big publishing deal. This is, this is very like business. Like I, I've been told to never talk about business stuff because it always seems very weird. But basically when you sign a publishing contract, if you're a band, like you get signed by a major label, you will get signed by a publishing company and one of the first things they want to do is land a big placement for your song to kind of justify your existence and recoup a lot of their investment with a big fat placement. So like, you know, right. get, you a, get you a movie theme. It's just a way for people to, you know, it's part of the sort of log rolling enterprise that is, uh, you know, medium sized rock music. Yeah. And, and so right after we signed our publishing deal, we got approached about, just having us one of our songs featured in this movie, and this is like 1990, and things are kind of going crazy for the for the They Might Be Giants as a band, and um, you know they basically just were like, you know, we have this very mediocre movie, and we'd like to you know dump a you know pull up a dumpster full of cash to your house and and give you all this money for nothing. What do you yeah. think? And we were like, send us a VHS. We've got to check this out. And I just think like, you know. It meant nothing, and it, and, it, yeah. and and at worst, it would have just a bunch of people would have heard our song, right. and uh, like a couple of years later, I was talking to Charles Thompson from the Pixies, and they have a couple of songs. I think maybe maybe just one song, but a, a very prominent feature in that movie, and yeah. he was just like, "Oh, it was great." 
You know, everything about it was great. And I just thought, man, I've like totally blew it. You know, yeah, I, like, yeah, like, yeah. like, what was I, you know, what was I thinking? Like, what would the bad part be? Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? All right, well, let's get to the questions part. Where are you from, John? I am from Lincoln, Massachusetts, which is where I met my lifetime-long collaborator, John Linnell, going to mm-hmm. the public schools there. How uh, old? Well, he, John's a year older than me, so um, like he has that permanent kind of older uh, thing right. uh, happening in our relationship. Um, uh but it's uh, like he was, I guess we really got to know each other. We knew each other in junior high school a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but um, when we went to high school, we started working at the uh, high school newspaper. And there was a whole group of kind of like-minded people uh, at, this, at this newspaper. And, um, and we just became friends. And, uh, you know, uh, we went our separate ways after high school for a few years and then met up in New York city uh, in the early eighties, I was going to the Pratt Institute and John arrived from Rhode Island uh, where he was already in a rock band that was, they were kind of like too big for uh, Providence, Rhode Island. So they mm-hmm. were like going to try to get signed out of New York. It was, it was very much the, uh, the, um, you know, thin tie scare. Of, yeah. 1981. <laughs> yeah. But they were a great band. Um, in fact, uh, John Andrews was the songwriter in that band, and he has gone on to be like a huge uh, producer of animation. I mean, he worked with uh, uh, like a, a million projects, like King of the Hill and oh, wow. um, Beavis and Butthead and stuff like that. Like he was- Wait. he's. Was this out of RISD? Was this out of they? Uh, I think some people were from RISD and some people were from Brown. Yeah, uh, I mean they were they were like a power pop band. They're very much uh, like you know kind of under the spell of uh, Elvis Costello and Joe Jackson and yeah yeah and poppy stuff. And they had a female singer and they had a really good guitar player. They were like they were. It was an interesting band to kind of be the. I mean, we were not the by any means the baby brother band of. They were called the Mundanes. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, but they were, 
trying to work within the world of, you know, back then there, you know, there were just so many, there was so much common wisdom and so many gatekeepers to what a band should be, mm -hmm. uh, like how to do it right. Um, you know, how to get, how to get a manager, how to get, how to play clubs, how to get on the radio, how to get signed. All those things were sort of, you know, a lot of people were walking around like these are like very quantifiable things. Right. And, um, and I think, you know, John, you know, would, you know, come home from these gigs, come back to the apartment building. We both lived in the same apartment building in different apartments. And um, I just felt like, you know, John had such an interesting point of view and, um, you know, we just had such a good time together and sort of there was, like, there was this sort of shared sensibility of all these kids that worked on the paper. And I just thought we should just do this kind of for fun. Um, and which is not to say like, we didn't want to like get gigs and do stuff, but it just seemed like success. It seemed like it was just as likely that success would find us as we would find success. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we just kind of went our own way and, uh, and just made this project that just seemed like, you know, from our imaginations, like just the sensibility of it, like the whole balancing act of trying to figure out how to have humor in what we were doing yeah. and not, and not have it be just like a one-time theatrical experience. Like, you know, there's right. a lot of, there's a lot of comedy music that it like hits really hard, but it's, it doesn't really hold up to repeated listening. And I right. think, I think and it's our, a novel. Yeah. It's kind of a novelty. Oh, I think it sort of is defined by the yeah, word yeah. novelty. Yeah. And, you know, not, you know, I, I, I don't mean to, you know, say that that's, you know, not good in its own way. Um, and sometimes like so inspired, you just want to hear it over and over. I mean, I could listen to uh, that Tracy, uh, uh, the, the, the where the werewolves song from 30 rock. Like I could listen to that song every oh, day yeah, for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's not like I, you know, I like funny songs. Okay. But right. I guess, I guess like, you know, our ambition was to kind of find, kind of create a universe that would like hold these ideas and, and still have the allure of like a regular musical album. Yeah. Well, I think too, well, I want to go back. I want to go back to Lincoln, but I do think, I think too, like what you guys represented was there was a lack of, there was definitely a, a work ethic. There was a, uh, an identity that you were forming, you know, that you had, you could tell you had a hunch at what it was and what, and probably mostly what you weren't. But I also think it was like, you guys did not take yourself too seriously. And that, I think in that kind of, cause it was kind of a transitional, you know, kind of, uh, I mean, was it, this is like hair bands into, punk isn't it or is it kind of punk is already hit or well i mean there were so many things going on subculturally in the united states like in the early and mid 80s it's hard to i think it was one of the few times that that like the 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 subcultural stuff had as much traction for teenagers as yeah. the mainstream stuff i mean there yeah. was you know there was madonna and prince and there you know these like kind of huge and in some, you know, often kind of fantastic acts that were happening. And there was also like the the weird fact that like 
you know, the Rod Stewart's would not get out of the way. I mean, this was yeah. like a very weird generational time in, it was just like, you know, these entrenched rock stars are just, are just going to hold on to their market share no matter what. Yeah, and I, yeah. I definitely felt like, I mean, I was already, you know, we started the band in our early twenties, like we weren't teenagers. So like, they're definitely, you know, we had grown up with a lot of these bands and it was just like, why won't they stop? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, there was also like, just like the whole kind of, you know, what people started calling college rock and, yeah. and like alternative music. And it was kind of, I mean, speaking of like authenticity, there was, it had its own pe peculiar authenticity just because it was like, I think now people just see it as like the minor leagues, but at the time, I think it was, uh, it was self-serious enough that it, like it, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't an audition. You know, you weren't doing yeah. this club, you weren't doing these club tours across the United States for 200 people a night because you thought that will get you a record deal or get yeah. you a, a major label deal. It was like you were doing it because that's, that's what you were actually doing. Yeah, you know, um, uh, so it was just a very different time in the music culture, and a lot the whole DIY aesthetic was, uh, you know, it wasn't just hardcore bands, and it wasn't just they might be giants. There was like a a world of music, uh, that was doing this DIY stuff, and you know, some of the bands were kind of crappy, and some of them were really inspired, and, mm -hmm. and some of them got famous, and some of them never got famous, but it was a really a world. Uh, unto itself that was just yeah. very separate from from Madonna and Prince. What do you think why do you think there was I get what is Lincoln like that there's so many kind of artsy weirdos, you know what I mean? Like cuz I'm Lincoln assuming, Massachusetts? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um cuz you said, you know, that you found a lot of kindred spirits on oh, the school oh, paper. Oh, oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. That's so that true. would mean like I mean cuz I don't think that you and Linnell would have found kindred spirits on the school paper in like, you know. I mean, Lincoln is in, the, in as a place is incredibly pastoral. It's like where the Audubon Society of Massachusetts is. So when you say Lincoln, all I'm thinking of is just like, is beautiful trees. trees. And, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, so uh, no matter how artsy a weirdo you are, you're, you're surrounded by like this incredible splendor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's just, it was all kids i mean my dad was an architect um john's dad was a psychiatrist uh like it was it was all kind of like professional class slightly overeducated people mm. and their and their problematic children yeah yeah so you know we just all just rolled around in our adolescent angst well i'm going to jump forward here cuz it does make me think i mean it makes me think of the you know kind of the similar work that you've done uh, writing music for kids shows. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. a similar sort of thing because you're still, you know, the work that you do and it's a commercial work. It's written specifically for a television kids, television shows, but it still is your aesthetic. It's still not compromised really in any way. It sounds like they might be giants, you know? Well, we did a we did three big projects with Disney Records that were, you know, very much they might be giants uh projects, but I have to say um you know, I don't think we would have dared do kids stuff um 
before before we had sort of professionally established the identity of the band, I think it would have been too confusing. Um, in a way, I think, you know, we really, we had already been a band for something like 20 years before we did any, embarked on any writing for kids. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I just don't think, I think we were just, we're just too nervous about stuff to be misunderstood that way. Um, and I'm really, I have to say, I'm really proud of the kids stuff we've done because it is very uh, undiminished. I mean, I, you know, when you do a kids project, like the first thing that happens is all the people around you, like management people, but also like, you know, even the people like you're delivering to, or they're like, it doesn't have to be that good. It's just for kids. <laughs> and you're just, and you're yeah. just thinking like, no, well, that explains why so much stuff for kids is it's really bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, because there is this kind of hacky uh, impulse that a lot of people uh, you know, seem to they 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 seem to pour as little of themselves into the project as professionally possible, and and we kind of went about it the exact opposite way. We really, it's such a great uh, you know writing for kids is such a liberating experience mm -hmm. as a writer because it's just like you know what's going to work for a kid, you know, uh, like a four year old, it's, yeah, not it's just, just like a kid, it, but like a yeah, four yeah, and yeah. five year old, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like you know you got to spark their imaginations. That is such a different assignment than writing you know rock music that in some ways is going to be everything you do is going to be filtered through like the rock cultural lens i mean 2021 it's different like people don't read record reviews anymore but they're you know or or watch mtv or just think about things in those terms like the gatekeepers have all been murdered you know yeah uh, but but uh when we started, you know, it was very, it, it seemed very controlled and, uh, and it was, just, it was very liberating to just be able to write songs for kids. I mean, I think especially for me and John, just like given our temperament, you know, it really let us, you know, get our inner boop, beep, bop, boop, yeah, yeah, yeah. out, you know, yeah. like all, just well, like. And also I think, cause there's like a lot of your early work too, there is, you know, it's self-reflective. There is some irony, I think. And kids, there's not an ounce of irony. Like kids don't even understand irony. So, you know, that it, it's like it's it's you guys stripping yourself of your own kind of it's just like exactly. It's like my daughter went to a uh a theater camp. Theater camp. Yeah. Yeah. And up uh stage door manor is what it's called. And uh my daughter did that once. And they, in two weeks, put together, and it's uh, the oldest kids, maybe 16, they did a complete production of Guys and Dolls, and you and, and your wife, Robin, came over fantastic. to see it. And it, it was, I, well, my Robin daughter- Well, Robin went to stage door, so she was, like, the whole time we were there, yeah. she was just like, um, you know, just having a total experience, because it was her, it was the favorite thing of her childhood. So it's it a, just, yeah, it's a, it's a Catskills, it's an old- uh, resort been converted into a deep immersion theater camp. And in fact, she only went once. She was like, it's too much. <laughs> it's well, it's, too it's much. like going, it's like going to a professional school. Yes. Um, yes. You know, Robin, I, I can't, I can't spend an evening watching Netflix without Robin just saying, Oh yeah. I went to camp with that guy. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's a great guy or like, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was, she was, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, 
uh, once upon a mattress with that girl. She was, you know, she was, she was, she wasn't cool. You yeah, know, it was, yeah. it, it was, it's, it's all that, you know, and, yeah. and uh, it's, it, it is, it is, st- it ends up being like the stars of tomorrow. I mean, I think yeah. it's, it's a big deal to go there. In explaining it to my Midwestern family, like what a big deal this camp is. I said, it's like if your kid is good at basketball and you send them to Bobby Knight's summer camp. Like it's like the Bobby Knight summer camp of theater, but in, you know, not basketball because it is like, you just, it's like Robin said, there's just every, like almost, you know, I'd say 80% of the notables on Broadway now probably went to that fucking place. Oh yeah. 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 You know, it's just like, it was, it's a factory for, you know, little Broadway creatures. But it's 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 funny to me, like as a kid who like I did very little stuff like that. Like there was nothing vocational in my in my childhood. But like I I have a friend who he's a fantastic guitar player, but he grew up in uh, like uh, not in the Upper Peninsula, but he grew up somewhere in Michigan, extremely cold, where hockey is extraordinarily important. Yeah, and as like a as like maybe even a preteen. I think his dad really wanted him to be like a professional hockey player. Mm-hmm. And they sent him to goalie camp. Wow. Not just hockey camp, goalie camp. So, you know, goalie camp is where they basically, you know, like two hours of the day, it's just like, uh, now uh, pucks will be uh, shot at your head and uh, you have to learn how to not flinch. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, We have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. The very first time I met you, you said that you had gotten a record offer. Like some somebody some somebody from some record company had said like if you want to make a record we'll make a record with you and I was and I this was like nineteen ninety two probably and I, you yeah. know I had been you know like I had you know we had started they might be giants in nineteen eighty two and only got like a real deal in like eighty <laughs> nine and I'm just yeah. thinking like who is this kid. And I'll tell you too, I'll tell you too, I don't even remember that. I don't even remember that, you know, but I mean, I, I would, I, I apparently had enough self-awareness to know, don't, you know, that would be like asking it, you know, like giving a fish a deal to fly, you know, it's like, I don't think that that's good for me, you know? No, No, there's been, I, I mean, I've had, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's absolutely stupid how much is given to you once you get visible and it's absolutely stupid how much like free stuff you get once you can afford to buy things you know it's just it's ridiculous well you know i i am a member of sag because i have whistled 
on a number of uh, <laughs> national television campaigns. Yes, of course. One, one for Diet Pepper, uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, and one, uh, and I've actually whistled multiple times wow. on uh, television. And, and whistling can get you into SAG. Wow. Um, uh, so I, I do- But wait, I, why is that? I do, it's, I different like than, it's different than singing? Like singing won't get you into SAG, will it? Uh, if it's on a national, yes. If it's on a national, uh, oh, if you're singing a commercial, you can get it. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. you count as a performer. Wait, is that maybe? Maybe I have maybe I have it wrong. No, no, no. Because I was already in the musicians' union. I was in the musicians' union very early. Yeah. In in my career, in fact, there the back in an era before everything was online, there was a musicians' union book that was um. It was it was just it was a way to hire union musicians in New York, and every category of musician was you know if you're a violinist you're in the violinist section, so it's like you could just get called up. Uh, and the, on the very last page, the very last category was drum machine programming, John Flansburg, <laughs> and that was it. that was because I had done an album that had a union session on it where I was the drum machine programmer. Yeah. It showed up. That's what you were. It was so odd. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that'll be the first line of your obituary. Right. Noted <laughs> drum machine programmer. Yeah, drum John machine Flansburg, programmer, John Flansburg. Actually, one of the weird things at the Grammys, they tell you as you, like when they're sort of, uh, you know, in the weird pre-ceremony, the, 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 the head of the RAA stands up and, and says like, just so you know, uh, in every everyone here, the first line in your obituary will be that you were nominated for a Grammy, and it was such it's such a weird more you know you're he's only speaking to a room full of yeah. nominated people, and it's like I mean he, it might, they might as well have like wheeled out the crypt keeper it's to chilling. make the announcement <laughs> you know, yeah like, yeah it's, yeah it's true it's true right um, it's true but that you know, maybe that shouldn't define you. Speaking of music, when did you know it was music for you? I mean, because you kind of were a oh, late bloomer yeah, musically, I, right? I, well, I'm still, I'm still really waiting to bloom. And okay. <laughs> um, listen, you, you listen, your, your buds have fallen off the vine a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. You bloomed and bloomed and bloomed. Um, you know, I, I love music. Um, so like, uh, I, I love a lot of music that has nothing to do with me. Like I, yeah. I'm, a, I'm like a music lover. Like music really just invades my consciousness all the time. Like I've since COVID, I've I've actually started DJing like a, a sh radio show on the local community radio. Just, no shit, really? Yeah, oh, that's it's, great. It's, it's a total blast. Like I I listen. Like I have to track new music releases and all this stuff. Is and, it streamable um, or is it something you got to be yeah, driving no, in your car? It's posted on a mixed cloud, which is like I don't know how they evade the the copyright rules, but right, right. But it's uh, the, the 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 program's called Low Stakes with John F. Nice. I don't even I don't even use my last name because I don't really feel like it's important that people know. It's really about. hard to say too. <laughs> yeah. So so um, uh, yeah. You know, I was I really enjoyed like the kind of the punk rock amnesty day uh thing of like 1977 78 like up until then so much about being a musician was kind of technical and you like it like i just didn't i just felt like 
if you're 17, 16, 17 years old and you haven't started playing for real, like how are you ever going to catch up? Yeah. And then there was just this moment where it was like, you know, it was just a total free for all. It's like, don't know how to play. Not a problem. Yeah. You know, start a band and, you know, write some songs. And, and um, I'd always just, I'd always been fixated on, on music, but I just never felt like, uh, I mean, I've, I've said this before in interviews, it would be like, it would be like um, saying that you had superpowers, you know, like you just right. like being, being a musician was like um, just the act of declaring that you're a musician seems like uh, beyond me. So, yeah. I, I have said before that, you know, like coming from where I came from and in high school, if I had said I wanted to be an actor, that it would be similar to saying I want to be an astronaut. Right. Or I, I right. want to be, you know, I want to be uh, Miss America. You know, I mean, it's just, just like that's not going to happen. Like, why are you even yeah. entertaining such a foolish uh, and also, you know, too big for your britches kind of, you know. Yeah. Kind, kind, yeah. I mean, I, I have to I have to give credit. A friend of mine. Uh, this this guy Brad Smith, uh, who um, he had a, he had like a, a Beatles tribute band. They only did Beatles songs from like 1964 to 65. They were called mm-hmm. the Nays when I was in high school. And their their big performance was being in the town in the Lincoln town. They had a float on the Fourth of July town parade where they played wow their Beatles songs, and it was this big showy town towny kind of thing yeah and um brad gave me uh like a very very crummy japanese telecaster uh copy and he just was like you know you should have this you'll never you know just just have it around yeah you'll never you'll never be bored maybe you'll learn how to play and i and i never would have bought a guitar you know and he just gave me this thing and it was totally was great. And then I worked in a parking lot in Washington. I went to George Washington for one uh, extremely unsuccessful semester in Washington, DC. Uh, I got what, one, what'd you go there I for? Got, I got one credit, uh, t- you know, training for a life of crime. I mean, it was such a weird, <laughs> it, I, I don't know. I was so lost. What, what did you I, think? Did you think like, what was, just, or was it just know. kind of that 18, 17, 18 year old? I don't know. Shit. I'll go there. You know? Yeah. I mean, my, my, my brains were just doing like the, you know, a, a mad scramble. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I, but I, but I had this nighttime job in a parking lot. Like I was literally the guy in the little booth. In the little booth, and yeah. and it was a it was mostly people parking their cars for the day, and so I was just literally like waving goodbye to people for three yeah. hours. Like I didn't have to like do Mike Erman Trout, like Mike Erman Trout, and Better Call Saul. Oh yeah, ever, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's it was, and I I that's where I really learned how to play, and uh, and you know I wrote songs, and it was just like this weird. I was literally in a box trying to you know wow. work my way out and it was the booth big enough to really where you could like turn around oh with yeah, the guitar? yeah oh okay. oh no there could there could be two people in the booth oh i see there was there was like, i was picturing was, just like a little one where you were kind of having to play it up straight up like old timey beatles you know how they you know <laughs> well, like I, put the, I, I putting the neck right by too. your face as you play you know no no there was there was actually a guy the guy who worked the guy who worked before me 
had been kicked out by his wife and was living on the lot in his Cadillac. Oh, wow. So he would, he would leave. Like, we'd talk, you know, we just kind of, you know, shoot the shit for a while. And, yeah, overlapping and then, and then he would just, together. like, walk out of the box and go into his car. Oh, wow. And sleep. It was, that's it was a, a very that's, odd. That's a good thing for a college freshman to be around <laughs> he, consistently. It really gives you a good, really a good, like, view yeah. of what's to come. He talked about the football, talked about some football team in such a first-person singular way, I thought he was on the team. <laughs> it took me a couple of months to figure out that, like, yeah. this kind we got of, a good defensive line this year. This, this slightly alcoholic 45-year-old was, yeah. not, was not a professional wow. uh, football player. Well, that's Pat Nozzle did a movie where he was, like, a sports fan and worked in a parking thingy. Like, uh, I can't remember what the name, it's like called fan, the fan or something, but, but it sounds very similar. Like a guy just obsessed with sports working in a little kiosk, you know? Yeah. I don't know why his wife left him. Can't figure it it out. So were you using books or were you just noodling and figuring it out? I, I took, uh, three of the strings off. So it was just the top three strings. And I kind mm-hmm. of had an, an idea what triads were. So, which is like, you know, sort of like the chords of songs. Mm-hmm. So I figured out like, you know, minor chords and major chords. And I kind of still, I heard an interview with um, Joey Ramone, where um, he was talking about how they would, they would just get, book song books like a like you know some book of like beach boy songs or something and they would just copy the seek they they wouldn't even know what the song was but they would just copy the chord sequence out of it and write original songs with that chord sequence uh-huh and uh and because they weren't really good enough to like play other people's songs yeah uh so they just made up i mean that was really the impetus behind the band is just to, like you know get into it more. So like right. it was easier to write your own songs. And I think I kind of started writing songs as a way to l- play the guitar. Like I right. just, it, I, it was too hard playing other people's songs. I mean, it was way too hard to play. Yeah. Other yeah. Yeah. Songs. But it was really easy to write my own songs. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into it. Now, uh, when do you start to take yourself serily? I mean, because it, you know, it Still happens. Waiting. In- <laughs> no, no but you know, know you I mean, obviously you felt you felt brave enough to to go to Linnell, who had been playing forever i think right yeah i mean and John say, is hey like, let's yeah. do music together you know yeah i mean i'm really i'm really grateful that like we kind of found each other because i think i think uh i mean when you're in a duo there is this kind of like mutt and jeff aspect where everybody tries to pretend that you're like the opposite of one another and that's not really the case with me and John. I think we actually have a lot of, like, there's a huge overlap in the Venn diagram of, like, what we're interested in and how we want to approach what we're doing. And it makes things very easy, um, especially, like, in terms of, like, the professional ambitions for the band. But, um, yeah. you know, I I mean, I, I have to say, like, in some ways, um, I, I think, I mean... I'll just speak for myself now. I feel like I'm very, very snobby and culturally snobby. And a lot of the time I, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to hide that. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I just, you know, 
I mean, it's it's great not being a teenager anymore because, like, when you're a teenager, you feel like you're in the culture wars, and you just the way you reject things and the way the things that you like kind of define you, and the things you reject kind of define you, and that that's more of your like, you know, when you're an adult, it's like you can you can just like ah oh, put on that ABBA record. I love ABBA. Yeah, but like you yeah. know, I I remember like you know liking ABBA as a teenager, and other people just you know they're like. Just think you're on the wrong side of an mm-hmm. important culture war. Um, uh, you know, I, when we started the band, we were we. I think we were pretty sure we weren't going anywhere, mm. and it t- it t- it took a while. There was this thing. There was this phenomenon in, and it's not really that well documented, except in the middle of uh, the film Legal Eagles. Uh, we kind of came out of the performance art scene of the East Village, yeah. which was this very, you know, it only lasted like three or four years in the very in the mid '80s, like '83 to '87, I guess, were the glory years of it. And there were a half dozen to a dozen clubs in the East Village that were that only wanted new music. Yeah, and and which is so different than most of the time. Most of the time, club owners are like. We're going to have a cover band in here and they're going to, you know, they're just going right. to play the hits. Moody know, blues. As, yeah, yeah, exactly. And this was this like wild time in the East Village where, you know, there was a cl- this club, the club, the Pyramid Club, which was this fantastic, you know, we played there every three weeks for three years. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what is that Malcolm Gladwell, you know? I mean, we got, yeah, I mean, we got in like 5,000 of those in private, you know, like we did, we were really off the radar. And then the weird thing was that the East Village scene kind of blew up uh, over the, you know, when we first started, it would just be like, you know, a couple dozen people at the show. And then because we'd kind of grown up in the scene, there were hundreds of people Mm -hmm. and, and the East Village scene which was, you know, performance artists and doing very transgressive stuff on stage and, so, you know, rock bands doing very extreme stuff. I mean, we did bills with the Butthole Surfers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we played many shows with, with uh, you know, hard- hardcore bands. I mean, we never played with Sonic Youth, but we played with a band called Swans, which was very much in that same mode. And then just other very original acts, and the whole th- the whole focus of the East Village scene was on originality, which is just such a blessing. And and you know at the time at the time it seemed like well yeah like what else is there to do? Why shouldn't it be original? And this was at the very nadir of New York City as a like when I moved to New York City, it seemed very obvious that. New York City was just going to get worse and worse yeah. and worse. Like it had already lived past the Fort Apache. It was in the Fort Apache moment. Yeah. And, you know, like the subways were just completely covered in graffiti. And, you know, um, everybody had, it was when uh, gates, gates were come. Everyone was gating their windows and plexiglass. Like, you know, you'd walk into a taxi and the taxi was complete. You were completely plexiglassed off from the taxi driver. Yeah. And um, it didn't seem like that was ever going to change. So it was like this very dystopian place to be. And uh, and that was really, but, you know, like, I think we really kind of thrived in that environment. Like, it was really, 
magnificent and exciting. And and then when it turned into a scene, it just got even more exciting. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to describe like, but you know, being in a scene is, is really fun. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you feel like, well, yeah, I mean, you feel like, I mean, for me, it's like coming up to Chicago. Your Brady Bunch experience must've felt like that. Like you were just like you, like I, I feel like I witnessed that coming to New York city and being this super vibey thing with a lot yes. of talented people. And obviously, like, you know, the cast of that show has just gone everywhere. Yeah. And well, I mean, it's similar to to like people that I did improv with in the, the basements of Italian restaurants mm-hmm. now being kind of household names. You know, like there was a bunch of us in Chicago trying to do improv comedy just kind of cause, I mean, there's only a few people that were like, I'm going to get on SNL. Most people were just like, I don't know, this is fun. And I like hanging out and these people are fun. And, you know, I mean, for me, like I liked not doing the shows as much as doing the shows, you know I mean? It was just the hanging out at people. And in Chicago shows get canceled all the time. Cause like the boilers out, it's cold out, <laughs> you know, the boiler goes out. So that we'd show up and the show would be canceled and I'd be like, okay, great. But we still get to go somewhere and hang out and be funny together. Um, and, and yeah. And then to have that, just kind of that continuation and have all of those people, like, you know, some of them writing for Colbert and others, you know, directing movies and just all the, you know, founding theater groups. It just, it is pretty neat. It makes you feel like, okay, yeah, I, I've done something, you know, like, like, right. I, you know, like, yeah, this all did matter in some way. And you're in like, and you're in a community. I mean, it's not like, you know, believe me, like the, the East village performance art scene was not like a world of love. Like there was, yeah. there oh, was a lot, imagine. there was a lot of, uh, a lot of very crazy characters coming through there, but there was also just, I don't know. It, it was, it was a time. And, uh, I'm I'm really glad that you know so many I feel like so many people's careers it I mean having any kind of showbiz career is like being shot out of a cannon to yeah. like, nothing there's not a lot of things that necessarily prepare you for it um I I'm kind of grateful that so much of what what we had to go through was kind of incremental like we mm-hmm. really had um I mean, very early on, I mean, we only had like one manager for most of our, I mean, our manager retired, Jamie, our manager retired. Oh, really? Oh, wow. He retired like last year because he's, you know, he's retirement age. Yeah, yeah. You know, Uh, it's just very odd. He was a grown up and then he became, yeah, yeah, like really became a grown up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, uh, but, you know, I mean, but it was great. I mean, we, we, we went, started with him and. And uh, you know, went the whole way with him. But I remember his his father, Jamie's father, wrote for Newsday. He was a TV critic on Newsday. Yep. And so he had an in with the Joe Franklin show. So we got booked on the Joe Franklin show oh, wow. for no particular reason. Wow. But but like uh, we would. But the idea, I think the idea was, and this is such a crazy idea, was that it'd be good practice for real TV. Right. Right. And uh, it was not really good practice no, at all. No, it was like much. Good. It was much better practice for like uh, being with uh, elderly you know, people. Elderly people, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. visiting someone in an assisted yeah. living facility. Yeah. yeah, and there was this crazy thing about being on on the Joe Franklin show. It was magnificent, which was 
you know, there were there was the Joe Franklin set on one side of the room and yeah. the romper room set on the other. <gasps> wow. So they would flip the cameras around. Oh, but that's the whole fantastic. time you're on the Joe Franklin show, you're just staring at like this giant don't be a room. don't be you know <laughs> do be pap- a doobie. Do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like paper mache props for yeah, yeah. Kids. Oh, that's fantastic. It was nuts. when I first in Illinois in uh becoming you know, like first of all also to that era of music being interested. I'm, I was from Yorkville, Illinois population. I don't know, like 7,500. I think when I was there, maybe I don't remember exactly, but is that, is that Southern Illinois? It's directly West of Chicago. Oh, okay. Direct straight West of Chicago. And, um, but you know, finding new music, you know, I started to listen, you know, when I started listening to music, it was ABBA, it was ELO, it, you know, and then like, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I don't remember the first kind of breakthrough of new wave music or punk music, but I remember reading, you know, just reading articles about albums and going and buying the album, you know, because unheard because yeah, because of some, you know, and I heard about you guys and your phone line, your, your song a day phone. Right. That was the first, the first way you pierced, my imagination. And I used to call, I used to, you know, my, oh, my mother, great. Like, what, what's this Brooklyn number? Oh, like, oh, oh yeah, these, yeah. these guys that makes a song a day, you know? Well, I mean, I have to say like the dial a song thing. I mean, it's funny because I think to sum up the way it has kind of gone down in the biography of they might be giants is that dial a song was our was kind of our gambit to get noticed by the music industry. Yeah. I mean, that's often how it's described. But the weird thing is, in a way, it it was, I I think for us, it was sort of like conceding that we would never, ever be heard otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, It was just like, it was was definitely like a a Hail Mary play. Yeah. And for um, people who don't know, what this is, is that you would change, you would have an original yeah. song on an outgoing machine, you know, because it's a no, yeah. nothing digital. It was a, uh, a it was answering a machine. Call, it was a record call answering machine, and it was just cassettes, and we would write these, you know, record these songs and, and, and uh, make different cassettes. And a little bit of it was like a sleight of hand, because we would change it every day, but we only had like 30 songs, which is not an insignificant number of songs. Right. But we we would be, you know, and we'd be constantly kind of updating it and feeding it. Um, but the the coolest thing about the whole Dial Song project was that it introduced us to people who weren't necessarily, there's so few ways that people are exposed to new music. It was nice to be able to just skip over all of them, like leapfrog over everything in the music culture it's like no Rolling Stone magazine needed. We've got this machine. Yeah. And we can just find in a way it's it's much more like the the sort of the gift economy of the internet as an idea before the internet existed. Like just like we're going to share what we got because yeah. We want we just want to be in the world. And um and it was such a weird experience like hearing this disembodied voice Sing. We we had to mix the songs with the vocals really loud for anything 
any to, lyric to be, to be read. Understood. Yeah. So they're very weird sounding recordings. Like there, there's something very haunted about Tyler's song yeah. as an experience. And I could, you know, the machine was in a suitcase. Uh, it was in like a a little. A, it was in my mom's su- a suitcase that my mom gave me that she had as a little girl. So it was like this wow. little kid suitcase, and because it made a really loud sound when it turned on, uh-huh. and, pe- and a ton of people would call in the middle of the night. Um, so, so it was in the suitcase just to muffle like, it. Yeah, just to muffle. Yeah, it. yeah. And uh, so, so I could put a lid on it. But yeah. um, the you know, um, I would sometimes listen to like the messages, and this. It, this really weird thing happened uh, over time, which is that the number got passed around um, by uh, young women who were clearly like in bars getting hit on by guys and to make them go away, they would give them our phone number as if it was their phone number. <laughs> so, so, and so, you know, the message would be like from some semi drunk dude. Yeah. Who's like, who's just like, who's like, Linda, weird, weird message. Uh, <laughs> gotta say, you know, because we also we didn't have any identifying information. Like we yeah. didn't, we didn't say it was they might for years. We didn't say it was they might. It was just a song, and that was yeah. all it was. So, so these guys would call up and be like, uh, "I met you last night, and uh, you seem really nice. Uh, you you want to call me back?" You know, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, this happened all the time. It was yeah, super, super sad. That's great. It was like a well, glimpse into single life. What I like about it, and I and I don't think it's intentional, but I mean, but it is like I like that it is a a really bold statement about just creation, about like, oh yeah, we can write a song a day. Like, you know, like writing a song, that's it's not like there's you need some keys to some secret kingdom. You just write a song. You know, and that's I've I've always loved that attitude because it's it's pretty ballsy. Uh, and especially you know, how precious people can be about creation when it's like, you know, I, cause I've had like just little bits that I did. People have lifted and used in different places, not, you know, for a long time, but like early on, especially, you know, there'd be like little bits that we do in improv shows, which are not supposed to be repeatable. And then somebody would take it and do something with it. And my feeling was always people would be outraged on my behalf or tell me, I saw that guy doing that thing. And I was always like, well, I can make more like it, you know, okay, you can have that. That's fine. You know, there's, there's more to be made. And I, I just love that kind of attitude about creation is not magic. It's just, you know, if you have a facility to do it, you just do it. You know, well, I mean, that's, that's very kind of you to say. And I, I feel like it is inspiring in that to people in that way. It kind of like loosens things up. Um, and a lot of times, like, you know, we'll do, you know, at some point you do some kind of Q&A for somebody and somebody will be like, I'm a young songwriter and I just don't want people to steal my songs. And I'm always I'm always thinking, like, nobody's going to steal your song. Like, don't don't. Yeah. You know, like, just just get just do, do your songs like just. Yeah. Get yeah, it out yeah. There. And that I mean, that's actually changed a lot in modern culture. Like people I mean, because the nature of, of communications has just evolved so much. But people were always just so nervous about stuff like that. I mean, I have to say, like. You know, John did a demo for Birdhouse in Your Soul that was on Dial Song for two years wow. before we recorded the album. And it's not that it's not that different. I mean, it's yeah. you know, it's it's like anybody could have, you know, lifted, lifted it, yeah. it, but you know, nobody deemed it that important. Right. 
Well, I, I have kept you uh, far too long here, but I, I definitely want to talk about your new project. Uh, like oh, yeah. This is where we get to be like a, a real talk show. Sure. Um, um, and it's called Book. And it's a book. And you were nice enough to send me a copy. It's a loner copy because there's only a few. There's, and, there's, and, there's five in the United States. There's yes. 10,000 of them on a boat between China and here <laughs> wait, waiting to go through like oh, the Suez Canal I'm just or something. Fingers crossed for no tsunamis <laughs> or anything. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I can see why now it's such a limit because it is a big amazing art book. It is not what I expected. I kind of expected it to be, you know, not necessarily like a career retrospective of They Might Be Giants, but I felt like it was going to be something about like, here is They Might Be Giants as a band in a very kind of, oh, I don't know, you know, just like in a, in a very literal kind of way. But it is just a collection of words and images and I yep. get, you know I haven't had I kind of I haven't had enough but it's like something I want to sit down with that thing for a couple of hours you know and it's intended to be listened to as yeah. well as read so I'm it, yeah. it, explain it I'm you know well it's I, a, I, my I mean, bad version it, of explaining it now do a good version I love I love art books and I love art photography and I love I have a bunch of like books of street photography by you know, famous street photographers and, and it's my um, favorite kind of photography. Yeah. It's, so it's a great. really interesting world. And um, we did get approached by a publisher to do a coffee table book that would be like, you know, your classic retrospective of the band. Yeah. And I think one of the things that, you know, John and I have talked about a lot is like, we'd rather, even though it's like, you know, licensing a song to somebody is kind of an opportunity what we like to do is like write, you know, if somebody's making a movie or a TV show or something, we'd rather write a new song than license something. You know, it's like just yeah. keep keep the ball rolling. Like keep, I get you. You know, that like the way you're in it, I mean, this whole band has been like a manic episode for me. And one of the reasons it's just been easy to kind of keep it going is because there are so many interesting creative challenges. And doing this book was um trying to figure out how to do something that would hold together uh, as an experience. It really is. Um, it actually involved like a lot of restraint. Um, we worked with, we, we work with this great graphic designer named Paul Sayre, who's actually in the world of graphic design. He's much more famous than they might be giants is in the world oh, wow. of music. He's like, he's yeah. a heavy, heavyweight guy, but he's sort of blessed us with his, talent and we've done a lot of collaborations with him over the last like 10 years and it's been amazing and he was all in on this idea of doing a book but it was like very clear from the, the jump that it was going to be rigorous and yeah. um he he did all the he he did all the lyrics in the book um that the that are all designed and very each one has kind of got its own approach but he did it on an IBM Selectric typewriter. He did mm -hmm. all those all those lyrics. They're kind of like a concrete poetry, I guess, is the term that people use. Like they're they're kind of making shapes and distorted in in various ways. But all the all the distortions are done by hand. So he literally spent like a, a month or more just you know 
it, it's it's almost like he's you know Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It reminds <laughs> you of like of like all work and no play. Yeah, exactly. You know, but in I mean, different I, visual <laughs> patterns, creating visual patterns and and visual yeah. art using a typewriter, a, a, typewriter, a selectric. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that was you know that was that gambit, and then we collaborated with this uh, young guy, a, a Pratt graduate um, named Brian Carlson, who does street photography in Brooklyn. And he, I mean, he just had this amazing uh, set of, of uh, photographs that, you know, because it's street photography and it's very outward looking, there's something kind of um, unlimited about it. And it really complements the, the lyrics that, that John and I put together, I think. Like, it's just like, um, I mean, you know, it's it's just it's it's different. It, it is definitely like a kind of a psychedelic experience. It's it is like a book of of art photography, and you know it's it's kind of sticking by those rules of like art portfolios. But um, I think it's it's a really interesting project, and it was a, it was really challenging to put it together. And um, but I'm really proud of it, and I think when people see it, they'll be they'll be excited to see something so different. A lot of times like rock books are just such a mess, you know, like, I mean, I, you know, as somebody who like has a lot of ephemera of different eras, there are a lot of like lyric books that are just like, they're just garbage graphically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like, I feel like we figured something out that, um, you know, a lot of people do not, do not crack. Well, it, it just is something that stands on its own in terms of like, like if, if I had, you know, you have no idea of no, no way of knowing that this is a, they might be giants project, Mm -hmm. which I think is, is cool. You know, I think it's, you know, it was a surprise and there was a part of me that was kind of like wanting to see, you know, I wanted to see you guys. You oh, know, oh, like, oh, I see. You know, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. wanted to see, take a walk down memory lane. Well, with we you could, guys. we could do that too. Yeah, yeah, we could do. I that I mean, too. eventually, yeah, right. I love, I love seeing pictures of me when I was thin. <laughs> but um, which, by the way, I do want to run down at some point all the different, like because you and I. I well, I'll I'll get to that later, but I I want to know. I want to say, is it is it? Are you because there's a CD include included, and there's yeah. um, and there's downloadable music. Is it meant to be sat and listened to, and in any kind of order, or is it just you, you know make it up as you know you, you no instructions, just figure out how you want how you're going to enjoy this piece. Yeah, of work. there's there's no there's no instructions. So I think you know I think if you kind of had the music at hand, I mean even if you just were listening to it on a streaming site and just let the music wash over you, yeah, uh, as you just experience it, it would be it would be cool. Um, you know, it's an experiment. You know, it's 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 it was it. We went into the project not knowing what would come out the other side, yeah. and. Um, uh, I think it's, uh, but I think it's, I think, you know, I think it works. I think it'll yep. be, you know, some, some people, it, you know, and it is kind of an art object. I mean, it's just speaking of things kind of being precious, like it is, I, I mean, just speaking for myself, it's not very often in 2021 that I open up a book and think about the aesthetics of the book. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to make something that is, very much about a, f- a physical experience, you mm-hmm. know, like um, so much of our lives are just screens and electronic things. 
And, um, and, and that's like, you know, work collaborating with Paul, Sarah, um, you know, a lot of those concerns, like those are very real concerns. You know, if you're a graphic designer, if you're an illustrator, if you're a photographer, those things are very real concerns because that's how it's seen. And that's, yeah. that's how people take it in. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really unusual. And yeah. I'm really proud of it. It is. No, and I mean, and like I say, I was I was happy to be so surprised by what it was. And I also think it's great that you can enjoy it and do, like you can, yeah, put on the music and look at it or just look at it or just look at the pictures or actually too, because of the work that he that he's done with that, you know, very unique kind of graphic presentation of lyrics and words you don't even have to read a word. You just look at the words as if they're like some sort of, you know, pixelation of a pattern, you know? Um, so it's really, really cool. And I, I, I want to spend more time with it. I know it's a lending library. It's got to go to, to others like me. Yeah. At, at, at some point, you know, yeah. fresh, fresh air is going to need that. <laughs> well, I'm going to, but I'm definitely going to take today. I'm going to, uh, because like I say, I gave it like, to kind of like, I'll take a peek at this. And then I was like, what? the first time I was like, wow, this is really different. But I want to sit down and take some time with it and really look at it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's cool. Dig in. Yeah. You know, what, what, I, what I was referencing before is that like, just in, in talking to you, and, I, and also I just sent you a text of something. Um, I was just home in Illinois. Like there's just you guys, they might be giants and you in particular, like just the fact that we know each other and have spent as much time together as we have, is just, it's just some kind of, it feels like kismet because it was just, you know, like I say, I was calling the, the dial a song line, you know, I mean, like on a regular basis, I was calling and listening to that. I didn't know I was going to, you know, right. Right. Be on the Conan O'Brien show or whatever. And then I don't remember my ex-wife got to know your wife somehow i don't remember exactly how but we and well i first we saw you guys when my when my ex-wife and i first very first started dating we saw you guys do a live show at rhino records on westwood boulevard in los angeles oh when we were in los angeles doing the real live brady bunch and we went there uh Together and it was kind of, like I said it was early in the relationship and I won a coffee mug the one that was gas <laughs> gas pumps. oh yeah 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 I know that yeah yeah it was a, it was it, it was a, a series of gas pumps and on the face of the gas pumps it had they might be giants and I was so excited to have won that coffee mug and get, got up I, and you handed it to me um, and then and then Kate Flannery who ended up playing uh, Meredith on The Office. Uh, took it to the air. Some my ex wife gave her a ride to the airport, and she took it to the airport with her and took it. Kate Flannery. Wow, I mean, she's still a dear friend, but you know. But there's my another name drop at the end Kate. of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, that's but then wild. When, when we met you, I met you guys, and we. I think it was the first night I met Robin. You guys were doing a show, maybe Mercury Lounge. I'm not exactly sure. Sure, sure. But she was in the booth doing the lights because the light guy had stepped away. <laughs> And I had, and she was doing the lights and, uh, and I was standing with her and she, and Sarah wanted to talk to her or something. And I said, cause I sat in a booth for a lot of shows at, at the Annoyance Theater and elsewhere sure, sure. watching the like I do things. And sometimes I would do the simple things. And I was like, 
I know what I'm doing. You go ahead. And she stepped away to talk to Sarah. And I was like, the lights weren't changing that much, but I like, I thought it, I thought like, you know how like they're set at like an A, B, I don't know how you do it. And you just yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. fade from one to the other, but there was no B set up. So I think I just turned the lights completely off on stage <laughs> oh, nice. on you guys nice. in the middle of a song. And you all were like, what the fuck is going on? Well, and, you, and Robin I mean, just came over and stepped in front of me. I was like, get the fuck out of here. That you know? really defines small time rock and roll. It sure does. Uh, I mean, the whole club life thing, I've done lights for many other bands. Yeah. I've, you know, I've done sound like, 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 I I've done I we did a show with De La Soul uh-huh. and um you know uh and they didn't have a sound man and the the how the 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 guy from the PA company was like I'm not mixing a rap act you know and it was just like it was just like <laughs> what you what? know okay. and it was like okay man like you know geez yeah yeah uh, and uh and I ended up mixing their show and it was it was uh it was really fun like cuz they I mean, they actually did like the whole like. I I mean, there wasn't much. There's only like four inputs. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, uh, so, but part of their show was like, you know, everybody on the left, left, everybody on the right, and it's like there's a panning knob. I know how to pan it to the <laughs> yeah. left. Speaking of the A B thing, I like panned like all the voices to the left, yeah. all the voices to the right, and the whole crowd like lit up. It was, <laughs> That's it was awesome. fantastic. I mean, That's one awesome. of the funny weird things about doing lights even in the smallest venues, you realize that people follow, you'll see the whole head, you see all the heads of the audience turn. Yeah. If you turn the lights off on one side of the stage and turn them on the other, yeah. everybody's heads will turn. Yeah. Which is like, all of a sudden it really, it really uh, burnishes the idea that the, like the audiences are just, you know, follow, you know, they're just, they're so easily led. Yeah. Waiting to be led. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's the case. That's I think I think that's part of what's nice about being in an audience is you surrender your your yourself to like, OK, yeah, whatever. It's it's like multi-camera sitcoms out here. It's always amazing to me that because the deal is you're going to come here and you're going to sit and watch what ends up being a 22 minute show, but it might take four hours and you're going to see multiple takes and you're going to see stops and starts. So please laugh as much the fifth time as you do the first time and the audiences go, okay, they just want to help. They just want to help. They're like, they're like, we get it. You guys worked hard. We're happy to be here. We want it. We want jokes. So if you tell a joke, we'll laugh at it, you know? And so it's, you know, even the laugh, even the real laughs you're hearing on television are kind of canned in some way. That's, that's fascinating. I didn't, I've never had that experience. Um, it's and weird. Can, it's definitely a did very. You, did you feel so? So they they ask people to like amp it up. Yes. Oh, they're, absolutely. They're, like, they're they're prompted. Absolutely. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there's a painter, I think his name is Robert Kondo, who does these big word paintings in kind of like naturalistic, hyper naturalistic settings, and uh, one of the slogans in one of his paintings is all that fake laughter for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always thought that, that would, yeah, that would be like a good, a good name for a, you know, a memoir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh not, my God, that'd not, be a perfect one for mine. You know, you know, not, not that, not that I'm in the business of fake laughing, but I feel like, <laughs> you know, so there are, there are worlds of people who, you know, have, you know, I mean, especially like the television thing, like a friend of mine was on the Seinfeld show years ago and 
there was no audience at all in the scenes that he did. And um, he said that the weirdest thing was that, like, they leaned in on the laugh track so hard on the show that when he saw it actually broadcast, he was like, this is, this is almost willfully bending the, the rules of how much unbridled laughter can be yeah. added to something that had no laughter at all. Yes, exactly. Like the, the laugh track on the Seinfeld show is just like people wetting their pants. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's not how they made it. They no. Just, they just gave into it. When you... In a sitcom, too, when you tape a sh- – because they'll tape some scenes. They'll pre-tape scenes now, especially to just save time. They'll pre-tape some scenes that might have a complicated costume change or something. And they'll pre-tape them on a sh- on an audience-less day. But people standing around, writers and so forth, will laugh, will make time placeholders, you know, like for the laughter. So – the person that's written that joke and has heard it 25 times, when you say it in that in that audience-less pre-tape, will go, <laughs> you know, just oh, 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 they just slug in their own. Yeah, they're fake because laughter. they know like the audience would have laughed here. That you know, the obliging audience would have laughed here. So I'm gonna put that in there. And also, and they say, like, to give the actors the timing, which I just uh, I'm well, my I guess, is always I guess, like, let I guess, me handle the right. timing. I mean, I guess having somebody actually laugh is better than having the director say, and hold for fake laughter. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> hold it, hold it. All right, well, I have kept you far too long. Um, oh, but so it's been a delight, Andy, it sure as has. always. I, admit, I haven't seen you in ages. I know. Uh, and, uh, well, not and since I Guys and Dolls. Robin. Huh? Not since Guys and Dolls. Yeah, I know. It has been that long. I still yeah. have... Uh, after that show, I put Guys and Dolls on my phone, and it comes up on on random sometimes. And my daughter's like, "Ugh, again with that, you know, oh. Alan Alda's dad singing about it, the it's such a shops and show, the mops. Though. It's a great show. I loved it. Um, yeah. But anyhow, um, what what's? I mean, I think that the the what's coming next for you is pretty much the book and more music correct i mean i i hope so i yeah. mean we're it's it, we're actually sort of embarking on the next album before like we, we this 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 whole interval has been so confounding hopefully next march we'll be back out on the road to do the 40 or so sold out shows that we booked in 2019. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're just in this sort of permanent catch up mode now. Um, But it'll, it'll be, it'll be great. I mean, once, once people can assemble without fear again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will be really something amazing. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I mean, I'm sure that you get like, um, People are saying, you know, it, it, I want to do something creative. I want to be in music. I want to, you know, I look up to you. Do you have advice for people that you kind of have, have, you know, distilled oh. now or, or, uh, I mean, I mean, you I mean know, what when, do you hope people, what do you hope people take away from what you do? Uh, uh, I, I mean, those is kind of the same question. Oh, that's, uh, but those seem like very different questions. I mean, like, you know, sometimes parents will, you know, come to me very concerned that their kid wants to be in music and I'll, I'll just be like, you know, save them. No, don't, you know, <laughs> turn, turn around. Don't yeah, do it. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I think, uh, you know, like, um, 
I went to art school and I had a profoundly positive experience in art school and learned a lot of things there that were completely transferable to being in They Might Be Giants. Like the thing you were saying about like the Dial Song thing of just not being precious about just putting things into the world and also just doing a lot of work. That was really key to like my time at Pratt. And um, so, you know, a lot of times I'll just say like, you know, if you write, if you, if you're into writing songs, like if you write five songs instead of two songs, like the chances of one of them being really good is, you know, exponentially higher, like just Mm -hmm. do more stuff. Um, But uh, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like such a dinosaur in, in terms of like the social stuff because, you know, I'm still, you know, I haven't caught up to, you know, I haven't caught up to Snapchat and now there's TikTok and, and yeah. all that. I mean, like, I, th- there's worlds of uh, cultural interaction that, you know, I'm just the blind man holding the elephant's tail. Like, I have no idea what it really means or how it really works. And yeah. I just, I mean, do you do TikTok? I do not do TikTok, but I ended up getting TikTok because my kids would send me TikToks. And then it was like it, it TikTok is set up so that you kind of have to have the app in order to watch things in a mm-hmm. in a better way, like a less clunky way. So I got it just for that. But then but I definitely so, I mean, I'm kind of like. Are you now following a half dozen? Uh, no. You know, and I only do- and dogs of TikTok. <laughs> no, I don't do it. I, I, I mean, I, I look at I first of all, I'm mainly just Twitter, Instagram a little bit. And I'll see TikToks on Instagram and I follow because of my kids suggestion and what, you know, looking at their feeds, some of these kind of mean aggregate accounts where they just, you know, they're like a catch all somebody that just posts shit all day. And there's some of them that are very specific references that I have no idea what they're talking about, but you know, and I'll ask my kids and they'll be like, Oh yeah, that was like this meme from this influencer who got arrested for public indecency. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I'll, you know, <laughs> okay, oh. thanks. You know, um, but I mean, you, it's, it is hopeless. It's an, you have to remember too. And I remember this a lot. It's not meant for me. I'm old. I, this is like when you and me looking at TikTok is like you and me going to a 16 year old's birthday party. Right, you know, where right. kids are first taking their first sips of beer or whatever. Right. It's like, right. what are those creepy old men doing here? Get right. out of here. Sure, I'll buy um, the beer kid. Yeah, yeah, come on. No, <laughs> Prissy, you got to learn somehow. Um, but I don't, so, but I mean, I do feel at least I do have, I do like keeping my toe in the, in the sort of mainstream just to kind of, even things I don't understand, I just have an awareness of them. And it's also been very helpful, I think, to me as the evolving, whether people call it cancel culture or whether they call it the, you know, or the Me Too movement or whatever, the evolving way that that it's appropriate to speak in public and the, the evolving way that like, that what is no longer acceptable because... I see so many, and it's mostly men. It's occasionally like a woman or a woman of of you know of my age or a little bit older or younger, not understanding. You don't say that anymore. Like that's not like that's that's kind of that was always kind of creepy, but now it's officially yeah, that's creepy. You shouldn't say that. Or 
that word is hurtful. Don't use that word. You know, I, I mean, and this not even like the big ones, just right. you know, some of the smaller right. ones. And, and, you know, it's 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 great culturally that this, you know, there is this infusion of new ideas. Like it's 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 not bad. It's not bad. I mean, I, I think like, um, you know, just it's amazing to witness to think that George W. Bush ran against gay marriage. Yeah. Is, you know, that was like one of the main platforms of his yep. campaign. And and that Barack uh, Obama couldn't say, yeah, I'm for gay marriage. He had to qualify yeah, yeah. it, you know? Right, right, right. Oh, I think Biden, in fact, actually came out pro-gay marriage before He did, he Obama. did. And it was, so, it was, it was weird. considered bad form at the time, yeah. Right, right. So, so, and now, you know, we see this incredible acceleration with like, uh, you know, trans rights and just acknowledge, mm-hmm. just, you know, acknowledging that that, I mean, obviously it's a contentious thing in certain places. I guess there was this some crazy uh, riot in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago about- Yeah, outside of it, a Korean was, spa. I, like why, why in LA, of all know. places, I would just think like, isn't, aren't, aren't you all just a bunch of liberals? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no, because there's, you know, here in- I live in Burbank and there's like a, a kind of like a Western themed bar that's really, that is also too like a Chicago bears bar for some reason mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that got into huge trouble. Cause they weren't putting on, you know, they wouldn't do mass, the mask mandates and they ended up getting shut out of their own business and, and their business being covered in cyclone fencing and, you know, like padlocks put on their own business because they they made a huge stink about it. And it became like a, a flashpoint for protests. But it's all the same people. <laughs> it's all like the right. people that are protesting the mask mandates are also going to to down to a Korean spa on, on Wilshire and Vermont and protesting trans stuff like they're all it's all the same. Yeah. The same basket of kooks. Uh, right, right. that are just kind of, that have a lot of time on their hands to go, you know, like one day it's vaccines, the next day it's masks, the next day it's, you know, the, the Trump won, you know, it's all just. But it's, it's, social media is perfect for putting these ideas into the world in ways that cannot be ignored because I feel like uh, it's such a, the, 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 the kind of social interactions on, you know, I, I really am only on Twitter, tracking Twitter stuff. But yeah. even there, it's like you can't complain that anybody's too in your face on Twitter. Like there's yeah. no nobody's nobody's going to get punched in the nose on right. Twitter. And so it's kind of it's kind of the perfect back and forth to get ideas like, you know, trans rights into the world, because yeah. that's something that's been really like just not addressed for so long. Mm-hmm. And and it's fascinating to just see what, like how much uh, of an accelerant social media can be on like moving those issues forward. Obviously there's going to be crazy pushback from crazy people. Right. But I think ultimately, you know, very much like gay marriage and, and gay rights and, and all these other things that just seem obvious uh, to people who are thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just, there is, there is hope, you know? There, yeah. Like yeah. I think so too. I think so too. And I, you know, I mean, just like, you know, the, the notion that just on healthcare that like now, you know, it's like the it, 
seems like most people in the country now favor what was used to be called socialized medicine. Oh yeah. And you know, and, and now it, it, it's, it's a largely popular, I mean, there, there's so many things that are just like popular opinion that we can't have because of the weird apartheid government that we have, you know, uh, the minority rule that is there, but there, that's, you know, that's one of them. It's I didn't just, realize like, we were on a communist podcast. Here, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> you sure are. <laughs> Well, I look, I uh, thank you so much for taking time and and I love you and I love Robin and tell her I said hi and um, and good well, luck with the book. Everybody go check oh, out this you. book. Yeah, it's yeah. really. Uh, the book is called Book. Yeah. And it will. It's coming to a, a seller near you. Yeah. yeah the, ne- the next one is uh, all that fake laughter for nothing. all right john flansberg thank you so much for uh being on the show and thank all of you for listening and we will be back next week with more three questions well three more questions not more i guess more three questions and three more questions i've got a big big love for you the three questions with andy richter is a team coco and your wolf production it is produced by lane gerbig engineered by marina pice and talent produced by galitza hayek the associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blayert, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.